Hello and welcome to episode 47, season 2 of the Two Hands on the Hurl podcast. I'm your host this week, TJ Mills, and I'm joined by the Instagram maestro and the one and only Robbie Mansfield. How's things, Robbie? Yeah, I'm good, TJ. All good with yourself? Yeah, all good. Uh, busy week in work, but uh, yeah, no, thank God I'm off tomorrow. And uh, yeah, nice. looking forward to Christmas now and going to get a bit of a surprise for Christmas as well, getting hopefully the booster next week as well. So, all and good. you going to do some shopping on your day off? Uh, me and shopping don't really go together. I won't lie to you, but uh, yeah, I need to do some... Um, yeah, be buy a few presents and uh, not leave it until last minute of Christmas Eve, which I usually do. But um, yeah, I need to get some clothes for myself as well because uh, I can't keep walking around with baggy clothes. So uh, I only have work clothes in a sense. So yeah, that has to be done. <laughs> yeah, treat, treat yourself. Yeah, yeah, no, it's. Uh, it's only so long you can uh, tighten a belt as much as you can. Are you a big mm-hmm. shopper yourself at Christmas, Robbie? Uh, no, I hate shopping, and I hate shopping at Christmas time. Uh, if I was to go do some shopping, I would go at like first thing in the morning at a really quiet time and just get in and get out uh, before you have to deal with people and all their all their bullshit and stuff. So, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't like it normally, uh, but definitely at this time of year, I'm get in at the crack of dawn and get out as quick as you can. That's, that's the only way to do it. Yeah, no, that'd be, that'd be my um, way as well. I won't lie to you. I'm kind of lucky that way. I don't have to shop for anyone really. Well, parents and grandparents and that, or grandfather and that, but uh, yeah, I'm lucky. I don't, it's, it's one good time. It's good to be single. (laughs) I won't lie to you. Yeah. but one thing I'm noticing, and um, I think it would be a, an awful lot worse than last year, is how quiet Kilkenny actually is. Um, I walk down or I drive down through um, the city centre at lunchtime, and even though the Yule Fest is going on, um, I can't get over how quiet the streets are. Um, would you be noticing that yourself? Is it a, a kind of a... A fear that's after being built in more than last year from the pandemic, would you say? Uh, yeah, it's possible. Possible people are maybe altering their habits a bit. Like, um, I know the gym has gone quiet, but that's like that's really it. That just happens, you know, at this time of year. So it's maybe not a good barometer. Um, yeah, I think people are still going out and doing all that sort of stuff, but maybe. Maybe it is uh, kind of trimmed back a little bit, but I'm not really noticing a huge change. But I don't really be down down the town or whatever uh, that much myself, so probably not the best person to ask, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah, no. Hopefully, we'll be able to have a few drinks over Christmas anyway, because last year we had to postpone. But I suppose what uh, Tony Hulahan decides tonight will determine that. Anyway, we'll be chatting a bit about that later in the podcast, but we crack on with the inter-county, or sorry, the club GA action that's taking place this weekend. And for anyone that's sitting at home or wants to have a few bevies watching them, 
uh, there's a feast of action on the television. The Camogie final kicks it off. Sarsfields of Galway are playing Aulark de Bala of Wexford. That's on in Nolan Park, but it's also live on RTE2 on Saturday, which I think's brilliant. Um, there's also two uh, senior football championship semi-finals. Um, Leinster, uh, Nace of Kildare versus Chemiliers of Wexford. I think that'd be a mouthwater and tie. Nace had a good win over the Blessington. But the big game in Croke Park, both games are in Croke Park. Uh, but the big game would be Kilmacud Croaks against Port Arlington. And Kilmacud Croaks had a good win over Wolf Tones in the first round. Uh, do you think they'd be a bit too strong for Port Arlington, Robbie? Uh, I think a lot of the teams that kind of come out of leash at club level are really good and they're really tough and dogged and stuff. So I think, but the, the only thing is it's in Crow Park. Um I think, yeah. which I think is, it, it does tip the scales massively in Kilmacud Croke's favour. Um, it's like with the clock Balakala, it's the same for when they're playing Ballyhale in Croke Park. But um, yeah, I think if that was like at any other venue, essentially, in around the country, um, they'd have a really, really good chance. But I just think that in the open spaces of Crow Park, the likes of Kilmacud Croke's will do a lot of damage. Um and I'd say, you know, you have, you know, Paul Manning in there and lots of other Dublin players who will be able to handle the the pressure of the environment a lot better than probably anybody else. So, yeah, I think the fact that it's in Crow Park um, is is kind of tipping the scales in their favour. And honestly, I, I prefer to see that match in Port Leash or Nolan Park or, you know, anywhere else but Crow Park. And the same with the, the Ballyhale match. Um, I just think it, it, it would gives it the, the weaker team a bit of a a stronger chance to actually win the game if you get yeah no I'd understand completely I mean Port Arlington are champions for the past two years of leash and they uh, defeated Port Leash with I think was roughly about 18 points in the county final this year which Port Leash were the kingpins of leash football for a long time and yeah, I think they would have a great chance. Now, they have a couple of inter-county players among their ranks that would have uh, playing in Croke Park with Leash before, but still, it's different when you're going up with the club. The the um, stadium can overall a lot of teams, um, but I won't lie to you, kind of a bias there. I hope Port, Arrington, Port Arrington do well, but yeah, with the experience, like you were saying, the likes of Mannion and all of that with Dublin and um, Wolf Tones put it up against them in the game in Navin, but still Kilmacud showed the experience that they had, and they'd be kind of bite on a bit with Clock Balacala defeating the Hurlers. Now, I know there's not many uh, players overlapping, I don't think there's any at all actually, uh, but still the, the club had one to do well, and um. The first game, I actually I won't lie, I kind of fancy Nace to get over Chameliers, but you never know, it's a kind of a, a wide berth there. Um, there's also Dulster Senior Football Championship t- taking place, that's on TG Cahar as well. Derry Gunley Harps for Mana versus Clon Aaron, um, that's in Brittany Park. But I suppose the big game that's taking place on Sunday sees, as you mentioned there, Robbie, is Ballyhill Shamrocks first clock Balacalla. Uh, Clock Balacola didn't win a game in the Leinster Championship up until they 
clickbait rapports of Wexford in Portleash and they weren't given much of a chance against uh, Kilmacud Croaks either last weekend but led from the start and looked really impressive I won't lie we were chatting and I expressed me bias there I, I know Bella Colowell I have cousins up there and I'd be really shouting, even though I have friends on the Ballyhale team, maybe, <laughs> and being a Kilkenny man's an awkward one. But Ballyhale were really put to the pin of their collar against Mount Leinster Rangers and against St. Rhinus last week. It was the last minute. Um, people were saying it was TJ Reid goal, but it was I think it was Owen Cody, who um, was yeah, just Cody. young player of the year. Um I'd agree with you if it was any other stadium bar Croke Park. I mean, Croke Park's like a second home to Ballyhill Shamrocks. But they have a few injury concerns as well. Now, I hope the players will be available um, that to be able to recover. And also, Joseph Cuddy got sent off as well. Do Balakala have a chance in this game, Robbie? Yeah, I think they do. Uh, and like sometimes teams can come from nowhere uh, and win a Leinster or win All-Ireland. Um, and like, usually the first time around is the best opportunity to do it. Um, yeah. So, you know, sometimes, I know there was, uh, was it Elrard de Bala uh, with, the, with the Wexford, coming out of Wexford uh, for so many years in a row, and they never ended up getting to the All-Ireland or winning the All-Ireland. Um, so sometimes, you know, you can dominate in your county, but not actually go on and win a Leinster. So I think it would be, this is their best opportunity. You know, Ballyhale have been on the road for, you know, the last three or four years playing. Um, and like, obviously they've still got lots of young talent coming through, but at a certain point they have to be beaten. Um, so I think this is a great opportunity. Um, I do wish it was in like Port Leash. I think that would be an absolutely cracking game. Uh, and I hope the fact that, you know, the wide, like the big, the big pitch and um, all that in Crow Park doesn't, give Ballyhale too much of an edge. Um, yeah. But I suppose like from the Ballyhale point of view, you know, they were down against the Lachlans in the Kilkenny uh, final and then came back and did enough to win. And then, you know, they just barely escaped uh, the last day out against St. Rhinus only for, you know, I think uh, talking to one of the guys who's involved in Ballyhale camp, he was, he was told that um, Richie Reid was taking a free and the ref told him if this ball goes anywhere, other than to your to your man, the game is over. So it was a high pressure, and yeah. you know it's a one in a, one in a hundred that those uh, that you get the goal that that kind of levels the game. If you know what I mean. So they were yeah. are they just kind of just doing enough to win, and you know have they been on the road for a long time? And is this a great opportunity for for Clock Balakala? You'd have to imagine that Ballyhale are confident they will win. Um, you know, given their given their history and that, so. You know, maybe is it the, is it the best time to for Balakala to you know pull off a big shock? It's it, it's a really tough one. I mean, Ballyhale or Ballyhale. I mean, Ballyhale could lose the first game in the league in Kilkenny, and usually, if you lose or say draw the first couple of games, say you got a a, a loss and then a draw, you're kind of up against it in the Kilkenny Championship. But yet Ballyhale are able to pull it off. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they are opportunities there for the underdogs. I mean, as you mentioned, Dowlark de Bala, and then you had uh, Mount Leinster Rangers of Carlo got to, I think it was the All-Iron Club semi-final a few years ago as well. 
Um, I mean, Ballyhill had a good enough lead against Mount Leinster Rangers in the first game. Now, you could say they were a slight distraction. Um, now, a brilliant distraction for Ballyhill. I mean, the wedding of TJ Reid and congratulations to TJ and Neve De Bruyne. And, um, but still, I mean, a week before a match, you could say, okay, fair enough. We mightn't be a hundred percent, but then to kind of fall behind like they did against Rainers, they did have a good lead enough against Rainers. I think it was about two seventy five um there at one stages in the first half, and then Rainers came back at him. So they are kind of a bit of um cracks there, but Ballyhale or Ballyhale, so um. Like I like I was saying, I have good friends on the Ballyhill side. I I mean, being a Carrick Shockman, they are local rivalry there, but you have to respect what Ballyhill done and being friends and everything. I always supported and all of that, but I just don't know. I think the venue, as you're saying, could maybe be the downfall for Balakala. But yet, if they start like they did against Kilmacud, you never know. Yeah, honestly, never know. But I let you call it as a an independent party here, Robbie. Oh gosh, um, you know, uh, you know, honestly, I would like to see Ballyhale do three All Irelands in a row because it's never been done, and they're such a great team. I think they deserve it. Um, yeah. But I think, like, I'm gonna probably be rooting for the underdog in this case. Um, just because you know it's a bit of a fairy tale story, like they've, as you said, never won. A match in Leinster before uh, this year. Uh, well, they've, they've only actually, I think they've won two county titles and they were both this year or something because um, the delayed 2020 final. Um, they did. So they've yeah, had a bit of a yeah. bit of a fairy tale year. So it would be it would be awesome and like it's great for you know the the small teams to come up and win. Like there's 300 members of the club compared to whatever, um, like 5,000 that was in Kilmacud. Last weekend, you know the way. So it, it's always great to see these giant killings, but you know, on the other side of it, like, so like usually one giant killing is probably all you get. You don't really get two, so um, they'll have to, everything will have to go their way, and maybe get a lucky goal here and there, and then maybe you know injuries might come into play for Ballyhale, and you know you never know. But I hope Balakala do win. Uh, but if uh, Ballyhale win, I do hope they go on and win the All Ireland because I think it would be great for them to have the mantle of you know three All Irelands in a row because they're such a great team. Yeah, I know. I'd I'd agree completely with your sentiments there. That'd be my feelings as well. And apologies to the Ballyhale friends, but I, I <laughs> on this one, um, like with personal ties there and that, I I'd. Um, but if Ballyhill win now, the one thing about it is if Ballyhill build up a bit of a lead like they did against Rhinos and against Mount Leinster Rangers, Ballacolla have kind of a trademark of coming back as they did twice in the county final, the second county final this year in Leash as well. So, uh, it could be a really interesting game. Uh, there's also another game. It's Ulster Club semi final. Um, it's Watty Graham's Glen. Versus uh, of Derry versus Kilkua down. That's also on television, but it's deferred coverage. Sorry, the Clock Balakala Ballyhale game is live on TG Cahar as well. And it's actually unusual because 
this will be the third game Clock Ballacolla got featured on the television and the first game that Ballyhill got featured except for the county final this year. So it's an unusual one. Um, but yeah, we'll discuss it. We will have a podcast next week, hopefully before Christmas as well. Um, but we move on, Robbie, if you're okay, to news that mm-hmm. emerged out of Tipperary this week with um, Des Ryan, who was former head of performance. And I forget the proper title, but it was kind of athletic development and kind of strength and conditioning with Arsenal is going to come over and do the same job for Tipperary GEA. And they're also linking in with Satanta College, who be one of the main uh, strength and conditioning colleges in Ireland that also have a base just near Semple Stadium in Turles as well. Now, we were chatting in the group during the week, and um, I really find your views interesting on it. Uh, do you think it's a good move for Tipperary GA, and could it be a thing that the the likes of Limerick, Tipperary, Cork, where there's great underage work and that being done could really go ahead of the pack of, say, the traditional teams like Kilkenny and Galway? Um, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, the fact that Limerick are doing so well on the S&C side of thing, like, obviously, you know, they're brilliant hurlers, first off, and their skill and their touch and all that sort of stuff is, you know, second to none. But, in terms of their athleticism and strength and power, they're also second to none. So I think a lot of teams are going to see that as as a way as the way forward. You know, like um, like if you were to go back in time to you know Wexford with Liam Griffin and he brought in like you know getting the meeting right and and maybe going going off the drink for longer than they were used to, and like at this sort of basic level, and then you had um like uh, Brian Cody in the early days with Kilkenny he brought in quite a tough regime for the players and you know in football you had um, the Dublin team doing like the 6am training and all this sort of stuff and all this sort of stuff that the successful teams do it becomes standard in time Um, and I think it's going to be the same and Kilkenny you know Kilkenny for the longest time were, were very at the peak of their powers were a very strong physical team and they were like if you got into a physical battle with them, like <laughs> that was nearly like the sign the game was over because they would just, you know, power you out of the game, like, you know. But yeah. this Limerick team is a different animal. And I think all the other coaches and, you know, at club and county level are going to be looking at that and saying, that's what we need to replicate for success. Um, now, that doesn't always happen. Um, but I do think with Limerick doing so well and being so dominant that you're going to see a lot of teams putting a huge emphasis into strength and conditioning. And hopefully it doesn't lead to like, um, like less emphasis on the skills and stuff like that. So it's, it's going to be more pressure on the players to add in, like as their amateur players are already doing all their hurling and skills work and they're going to have to keep up with the, the strength and conditioning work. Um, there's probably lads who are doing SNC programs now for next year and stuff like that. So, I think in, in like, you know, the GEA is kind of slowly catching up with the whole strength and conditioning thing. Um, and I think in, in, you know, five, six, seven years, you're going to see very dominant or very big, powerful and like strong teams, uh, very athletic teams. Um, and that's going to be the standard um, going forward, I think, because, you know, success leaves clues. And 
people are always going to want to follow in and do um, do what the successful people do, you know. Yeah, are they an opportunity missed here, Robbie? And now, there, I have two questions that I would have um, been thinking of to discuss in the podcast. First one is, are there a serious opportunity missed within the GEA that there's not kind of a centralised um, strength and conditioning programme? Like, if you look at, say, um, the NFL, there's kind of a draft and all of that, so players are kind of conditioned. Everyone... Now you're you're always going to have outstanding players and all of that, but they're kind of all, what would you say, kind of all set to maybe the one level that can interchange and all of that. And you know, with draft, now I wouldn't be an NFL expert, but then you look at the AFL in Australia. Be now I could be completely wrong in this, but when you have an interchange within teams and all of that. Are they kind of a missed opportunity here, especially for the likes of the weaker counties, counties that the the everyone wants to see emerging, the likes of Antrim, Leash, Westmead, Carlow, um, and then even the Nicky Racker Cup teams, Christy Ring Cup teams, and all of that. Are they a missed opportunity not to have a kind of a player development pathway intertwined with say strength and condition and try and get everyone under one level as said a county's kind of going on their own doing it uh yeah well there probably should be you know a bigger emphasis at underage level uh you know the youth team and development teams that's where they really really need to start you know and if you take like um you know young guys who are going into the leinster and monster academy if you know, they might have all the skills in the world and all the athletics in the world, but one of the standards for them now is that they have to be able to Olympic lift as well. They have to be proficient in Olympic lifting um, to to go on in that sport, you know the way? So I think you're going to see stuff like that coming into the GA. It's, it's going to be a slow, because the GA is a very slow-moving sort of machine, but I definitely think that, you know, in 20 years you're going to have you know, teenagers who are doing Olympic lifting for hurling. And I think that's a great thing because it's it's really great at developing power and athleticism and quickness and all this sort of stuff. Um, and I just think that the GA is very slow to, to change. Um, and like in 20 years, you're going to you're gonna have teams that are, you know, young guys who are, you know, like minors and under 20s who are probably more athletic than the majority of the current players, if you know what I mean. So that's, that's the direction it's going. Yeah, I think sometimes when this does happen, you can lose a little emphasis on the skill element. I think that there's definitely a happy medium between strength and conditioning training and lads being still great stick work and skill and all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, no, and in my last comment, just to clarify, I mean, Martin Fogarty was the head of the uh, player pathway and all of that for past number of years in Croke Park and I mean the work that Martin Fogarty and Paddy Butler and that done is tremendous and they're trying to keep the traditional aspects in the game and all of that where I'd be coming from it'd be kind of a more kind of a higher echelons level that the, there's always discussions around say games and development officers and then the way funding is being allocated that some counties are drawn down more or they have more games and development officers and all of that but I, I say we could be chatting about it but um, the 
the second point I had is, is you mentioned it there, is the game kind of slowing down a bit compared to the way it used to be? I mean, if you take the Limerick Hurlers, who are phenomenal, and I mean, I did question whether they would have the bottle to do back-to-back last year, and I gratefully, graciously at Humble Pie, the way they... A one doll Ireland this year, and especially the way they came back against Tipperary in the Munster final, but they don't seem to be the same. What would you say? Speed in it. I mean, their points being able to be scored from well past the halfway line now, and that's through pure strength. I mean, upper body strength and everything. Is the kind of the skill level kind of weaning away a bit it's becoming too much s and c and um what would you say tactics in other words and all of that that the uh, say compared to 10 year ago the traditional way the game is going is kind of gone yeah well i suppose like 10 years ago you would have had uh cornerbacks getting the ball and just lamping the ball up to the full forward line and in some circumstances, they wouldn't even look where they're hitting the ball, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And that was just, that was the game. That was the style um, that you know, you'd get the ball and you'd, you'd lamp it down the field. And then it's up to your forward to be out in front and win the ball. Whereas now most teams adapt, uh, get the head up, pick out the pass, find the man sort of thing. And I think, yeah. you know, that like that is definitely a change and it's like the tactics are playing, playing a part um, you know and you could argue like with the sweepers and that sort of stuff is it making it like not as pure hurling and stuff like that but I suppose the game will always develop and managers are just trying to find a way to to win games and stuff like that but I think for Limerick I think they've found a nice a nice blend between the the physical side to the game and the training for it and the skills because they are like very skillful players. Um, and I suppose like, you know, like more and more modern players are, are able to hit the ball over the bar from, you know, 78 yards out the field. Um, and that's an ad- adaptation in the game. So maybe like, uh, like because guys are so strong and they can hit the ball so far now, uh, maybe like looking at the ball, uh, might be a better option. So making the ball, um, so you're not able to hit it as far, if you know what I mean. So then you might get more yeah. balls going into corner forwards and like little jinks and turns and sticking over the bar. So, you know, like I suppose the game does evolve. I think Limerick are, are, are doing it really well, but my fear is that other teams would just come in and not have the same sort of systems and they would have more of an emphasis on the physical side of things and not as much on the skills. But I think if you were to follow whatever Limerick's template is, you definitely could um, have a nice blend between the both of them. Yeah, I know a really valid point there, Robbie. And just to finish up, do you think that's why kind of, as I was saying, and I <coughs> just to clarify, Tipperary were the kingpins back 70s, 80s and all that. I didn't mean... When I mentioned Kilkenny and Galway being traditional, what I meant was traditional style kind of way. Is that a reason why the likes of Kerry and Kilkenny haven't had success in the past few years, say Kerry in the football, Kilkenny in the hurling, because they haven't adapted quick enough to the way the game is going because other teams adapted to what, say, 
Kilkenny and Kerry were doing, but they're after better in it? Um, you know, I think both of those counties are, are very close. Uh, you know, and with a bounce of the ball for Kilkenny, they could have very been in, very easily been not in All Ireland final and stuff like that. Um, True, yeah. You know, I, I like. I'm not sure with Kilkenny. I think it's kind of. I think the talent is there, um, and I think they are pretty close. Um, but like we're in a, in the era of a very strong Limerick team as well. Like so, you know, it's it's possible. It's possible that maybe. It would be difficult to win in All Ireland no matter what, like in a way. And I think Kerry definitely, for me, have left two All Irelands behind them, like losing to Cork. Uh, they should have bet Cork, uh, and only for the goal in the last minute, they could have went on and won the All Ireland that year. And then, you know, Tyrone really um, did a smash and grab. And like I think if Mayo, if Kerry had of beaten Toronto, they would have beaten Mayo in the final as well. So I think Kerry are very close and you know they're, they're changing the manager now. So I think they obviously think that that's that's what's going to get them over the line and stuff like that. I think they're very close, but you know, maybe I suppose you, you think Kilkenny and Kerry are very play a very traditional style. And maybe they have been a little slow to move off that um, because they're very they're very steeped in in tradition and they kind of back their own values to play, if you know what I mean. It's like maybe, you know, Man United in football, they want to play like a particular sort of style, like with the ball and passing and moving. They want to play a defensive style. Um, so I think like with these traditionally successful teams that they do, they do try and fall back onto the values that have made them great for generations and stuff like that. And sometimes that can be a hard message to change. Yeah, I know a really valid point there, Robbie. That brings us on perfectly to the All-Stars that were announced last week. And we begin with the hurling ones, which were dominated by Limerick. And there was a bit of slight questions about why were there so many Limerick players? Uh, there were 12 overall. But, I mean, there was also a valid point, and it was asked, who would you leave off? Yeah, that's true. Like, um, like it, it does. Like, I think probably every guy in that team, every Limerick guy, probably deserves his place. But then you think of, um, you know, Cork got to the final, and no one in the no one in the All Star team. I think that's quite a that's a hard pill to swallow if you're a Cork fan or you're in the Cork yeah. setup. Um, and I think it was the GAA Statman. Uh, they did a thing where it was like that. There was three Cork players who were in the top ten in scoring. Uh, for the year so like you you imagine like I think it was um, I forget who it was maybe was the the top Cork scorer but I think they were in the top three you imagine they should be getting into the all-star team Um, you know so when you kind of look at things like this you're like you know I suppose it's a hard thing to do to to pick the all-star team but the Limerick team were just so dominant in that final Um. That maybe they just thought that there was no one better in those positions, but um, I definitely think think that Cork were hard done by having nobody in the team. Like it's the first time ever, they never had um, like someone who was who lost the final was wasn't in the All Star team. You know way. So yeah, I think that's a tough one, and you know it could be every bit of motivation that they need for next year. Uh, I think you're going to see a couple of Cork players at least in the All Star team next year. Um, they're definitely going to be driven on by that, like you know, in a way. But um, 
I think overall with the all-star team, you kind of have to be happy enough. The Limerick guys were just so dominant. And I would, I'd be probably, you know, turn it around and say, you know, for the Limerick guys who weren't in the team, you know, that's, that's obviously very disappointing as well. Like, you know, so that, that's the other side of it. Yeah, no, very valid points there. Delighted for Owen Murphy um, of Kilkenny getting nominated. Um, oh, I can't think of the Waterford player. Um, oh, it's escaping me now, but t- I had it on the sheet here. And it's Tony after. Kelly as well. Tony Kelly as well. Yeah, the uh, Prunty, sorry. Prunty. Um, yeah, and um, delighted Owen Cody got Young Player of the Year for two years in a row. Uh, the football team seemed to be more um, fairly disputed. I know it was dominated by Tyrone, but there's a couple of other counties there as well. The surprising thing is only one player from Dublin, Kieran Kilkenny. Um, there were three players from Kerry and three from Mayo. Um, is that the way that the All-Stars should be, Robbie? Just taken from the hurling, I mean... Tyrone were dollar and champions. I mean, they were absolutely decimated by Kerry in the league in Killarney, and they, the management team kind of laid it on the line to him and said, "Here, it's shit or get off the pot." In a sense, and fair play to him, they went on. But is that the way that the All Star team should be? I mean, no matter how dominating a team can be. It it the it it should be kind of shared around because you'd be saying, well. What's the point like? Now, I know players say success for the team's the most important thing, and that's very valid, but I mean, there are other players around as well, like you were saying, Cork and even Galway. Yeah, I think like, if you're like, it should be that you, if you've done well for the whole year. And I suppose, like the way the championship is structured, it is it is very much biased towards the the teams that get to the later later rounds of the championship, like semi final and final and stuff like that. Like if you didn't get to you know those sort of stages, you wouldn't really have much of a chance. Whereas you could have played brilliantly all year, like of uh, Tony Kelly there, and only for his probably brilliance is what's got him into the team. I suppose um, his overall just stunning play. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it kind of comes back to the championship structure as well. Like, and if we had a fairer system where people played the same amount of games, you could probably have a fairer all-star uh, conversation. But I definitely think you should be including the league, like, uh, in yeah. in, what, in what you're, when you're picking the, the all-star team because it's the, for the whole year, I think. Um, but yeah, it is definitely heavily biased towards the guys who make it to the later rounds. Like, and I suppose that's just the way it's structured, and it's kind of hard not to pick guys who are in the final and on the winning team, and pick the the player of the year from the winning team, and all this sort of. Stuff. It's hard to do that. Like, you know, in a way, just just the way it's structured, it just lends itself to that. But maybe in 10, 15 years, if we had a, a more structured championship, we might might have a fairer all star conversation, but. I think at the minute it's the best we can do with the system as it is, if you get me. Yeah, I know. Very valid point, Robbie. Of course, the I forgot to mention the senior <coughs> hurler of the year was Keen Lynch of Limerick, and that was well deserved. Um, Keen Lynch is an exceptional talent, and to be fair, it could have been any of the Limerick team, but Keen Lynch is just outstanding. And the uh, footballer of the year was Kieran McGeary, 
and the Young Player of the Year uh, for football was Oshin Mullen. That's second year in a row for Oshin Mullen as well. He's an exceptional talent. Were there a rumour he was um, being scouted for Australia as well? Or yeah, I think, he's gone. I think he's gone. I think he's yeah. gone down under. Yeah, no, it's 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 a great opportunity. You can't blame players at all, but it's a real loss to the game as well. But um the very best of luck, Toshin Mullen, um with his ventures. We move on anyway, Robbie, to the picks of the week and I let you take it away first. Yeah, well, first one is I talked about this before was The Witcher and it's I was talking about it. That uh, was coming out in December, December 17th, which is tomorrow or today, if you're listening to the podcast. Um, so The Witcher are definitely going to be uh, sitting down to watch that. And uh, then another classic movie I was reminded, reminded of today was uh, In Bruges with uh, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. And I think there's Ralph Fiennes in it as well. It's just a very, it's a brilliantly funny, dark comedy Um and it deals with some very serious issues and it's just really well made um, and really well done and good Irish film as well. Um, and of course, there's the traditional um, Christmas film that is Die Hard, Die Hard yeah. Part 1, <laughs> Die, Hard, Die Hard Part 2, uh, brilliant Christmas movies. Um, I watch them nearly every year. And as someone says, uh, Christmas doesn't really begin until Alan Rickman is falling off of the Nakatomi Tower. So, um, yeah, definitely going to be chilling to watch them, uh, chilling in to watch them over the next couple of nights. I'm ashamed to say, I don't think I ever saw a full Die Hard film. So this year, this year's the year. Yeah, I don't know why. I love action films like that, Lethal Weapon, Beverly Hills Cop. I know they're slight comedy films, but they're still kind of along the same genre in a sense. But uh, yeah, I, I'm ashamed to say, but I definitely will this year. Um, definitely, definitely. Alan Rickman, I really, I really liked as an actor. I won't lie to you. He was such a versatile actor. It's a shame. Um on his past in a couple of year ago, but yeah, no, it'll be definitely one that I'll be watching this year. Um, yeah, my I remember I watched a Die Hard Four. Uh, I watched it in Spain, and in Spain they don't call it Die Hard; they call it La Jungla or the Jungle. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of uh, it was just mad. I kind of seen it a sign for it. It was like with. Uh, with Bruce Willis or whatever and just said La Hungla and I was like what the hell is this and they were like oh you know over here they call it the jungle they don't call it Die Hard so I just thought that was a bit of a random random factoid in there <laughs> I know a brilliant one it reminds me of a joke especially for uh, any under 18s are listening it's about uh, the man got a heart attack after taking the Viagra uh, alright oh yeah good yeah. way to Die Hard yeah, <laughs> we move on anyway. Uh, oh no, sorry. Um, my picks this week. Um, yeah, I suppose coming up to Christmas week, we will be discussing it next week. But it's the World Darts Champ Championships back on. I had it down for World Sports as well. But uh, yeah, once the darts is on, two things really signify Christmas: um, the World Darts Championship and Father Ted on Christmas Eve. They're the two real hook line and sinkers for me but um 
Yeah, the others I'm watching on YouTube again is um, World's Scariest Police Chases. Uh, do you remember those used to be on television of uh, Friday night years ago when TV3 yeah. took off first? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're of what's the name of the cop in it? Uh, John Burnell, uh, Sheriff John Burnell. Uh, so yeah there's a vast array of collection of those on youtube and i'm watching an interesting series on it um i train kind of as a slight uh, kind of par qualified paramedic when i was in the civil defense um when i was in my teens so i had an interest in ambulances and it's called inside ambulance it's a british based um series but yeah i've been watching that as well of course along with kitchen nightmares and that i'm kind of i deleted or cancelled my netflix account and watching a lot on youtube and um i'm watching a lot of old british sitcoms as well i don't know why but the likes of on the buses and minder and all of that i'm really interested in so i find them good so watching those as well so they may not be everyone's cup of tea, but uh, they're my picks of the week for this week. And we will have uh, Christmas picks uh, for next week's episode. Uh, we move on anyway, Robbie. And there are sad news in the world of Premier League and international football this week with the retirement of Sergio, Sergio Aguero, the Argentinian, had to retire due to um, um, a heart illness he has. And what a player he was. Personally, I have to thank him for finishing so high in uh, Fancy Premier League for a huge number of years. But he's going to be a huge loss to the game. Yeah, brilliant player. Um, you know, he was he was the type of player he just you know scored three or four or five goals just so easily. He just you know he'd, like he'd have some games where he was just unplayable. Like, and that's the only way to describe him. He would just. He'd just be on a different level to to players now. Like obviously, he scored a lot of goals. Um, I think at times maybe he he didn't he had he had some kind of maybe more frustrating games, especially for City where he didn't play as well or he had a lot of injuries as well and maybe a bit of dispute with Pep and stuff. But when you kind of let him go and let the reins off, he was uh, he was unreal and he just. He just score so many fabulous goals and score so many of them, like you know the way. Um, and definitely think his goal against QPR uh, to win the title is definitely probably the Premier League the the most memorable Premier League moment of all time. To be honest with you, it was just um, you know it was the final seconds of the game. They had to score the goal to win the title. United were maybe half celebrating winning the title because they had won their their game. And so you had to win by two goals. And, you know, also you have the the Martin Tyler uh, commentary as well, which makes it uh, so much better as well. The big Aguero. And um, yeah. yeah, for me, like I, I would struggle to think of a moment that is as iconic as that, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't know, maybe you have one as a Liverpool fan. I know there are too many, um, being honest, especially before we won the Premiership. But um, I know when you see talent, you have to you have to be in awe of it, and it's um, it's a thing that's kind of coming into the game. Um, if you look at um, Ericsson as well, I mean, 
thank God Ericsson was able to recover after the European Championship. But it just shows the pressure that can be put on um, elite players' bodies. And um, thank God it isn't awful common, but it's becoming a bit more common. Um, but yeah, no, he was he was a special talent. And um, he's definitely one... Now, I often heard it said that great players don't become great managers, but he's definitely one you would have to see um, moving into management. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see him moving into the Premier League in a few years when he learns his trade. Um, but yeah, no, an exceptional talent and it's sad news. And he'd be... Um, a severe loss to Man... Uh, uh, he will be fondly remembered by Man City, especially, as you said, that goal um, to se- secure the Premier League title. Uh, we move on anyway, Robbie, and the Premier League... Dra- or, sorry, the Champions League knockout stages draw took place, and it took two attempts as the first draw. There was an error with it. I didn't hear exactly what caused her, but it meant that the original fixtures bar one, and I forget the one that stayed the same. Uh, was it the Manchester United? Uh, Chelsea and or Neil. Chelsea, sorry, Chelsea and Neil. Uh, but there's some real mouthwatering ties there. Um, I suppose the real standout tie would be PSG versus Real Madrid. Um, but is PSG after moving a bit further ahead from Real Madrid at the moment? Um. Yeah, I suppose like you'd think so with Messi and you know Neymar and Mbappe, and they have such a brilliant team all around. You know, they've got Ramos, and you know it's they just they're just such a wealth of talent. Even they make the the Real Madrid of the Galacticos era um almost look like a a bunch of hobos to be honest with you in terms of like their prestige and stuff but so it's like some of them are getting on like Messi and Ramos and stuff um yeah. I would I would definitely favor PSG I think this could be their year uh they've been knocking on the door the last few years um probably maybe PSG or City maybe or have a great chance um you know Liverpool will always be uh, a strong hopeful um I think the Atletico and Man United draw is um is a really intriguing one. Um, and I think maybe Man United would have preferred to play PSG. It might have suited them a bit better. Um, but Atletico is going to be a real, it's going to be an absolute dogfight. Um, and I know Ronaldo has had such a great record against Atletico Madrid, it's particularly in the Champions League. So it'll be interesting if he can kind of follow on with that um, at Man United. But um, yeah, there's some great games. And you no, know, I think the, the group stage have definitely. You know they've definitely been become very predictable and very routine, and I do, I do I do think at the minute the magic of the Champions League doesn't really start until the knockout stages. Um, yeah. Whereas like maybe I'm looking back with rose tinted glasses, but I remember watching uh, group stage games. You know with um, you know Man United when they won the treble and stuff like that, and you know they, I think they had to do two two group stages, um, and there were some classic games in all the group stages, and um, and then the knockout stages as well. But I think at the minute it's becoming very routine for the big teams, and it's not until this stage, um, which not until next year now, um, till till February or whatever, where the Champions League actually really kicks into proper gear. We have all the big teams coming uh, coming together and stuff, but um. 
yeah, some great games. Uh, Inter and Liverpool, that should be an interesting enough game. Inter are going very well in uh, Syria. Yeah, no, it's... Um, yeah, Liverpool, I mean, they looked unstoppable in the group stages. Yeah, there was a few hiccups along the way, especially against Milan and that. But, um, yeah, no, it's uh, I, I seriously think Liverpool just need a couple of players... Um, now, I mean, Salah is in exceptional form. Um, there's, I was going to ask, maybe we can discuss it next week about the situation with Salah's contract. It still doesn't seem to be settled yet, and there are different views on it. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I'd kind of, being biased, you'd kind of, if Liverpool bring the form from the group stages into the knockout, now they are a big gap there, no one knows what the situation will be with COVID. Then hopefully if there's a surge or whatever, you see the effect it's having on Premier League games at the moment. Hopefully by then, um, weather begin to get a bit better and that uh, there won't be as many cases. So so that'd be the worry across the board, especially for the Premier League teams anyway. Um, yeah, I'd have to go to stand out to be PSG against Real Madrid. Um, Chelsea Lille, that could be an interesting one. Um, on form, you'd have to say Chelsea, and I mean, being defending champions in that, but Lille aren't that they can be sticky enough at times. I think if you're to look at maybe one, say, with past greats, that may be an interesting tie as well, it'd be Benfica against Ajax. Um, I think that could be an interesting one. I'm not saying they'll come close to winning it or anything far from that, but I, I think it'd be an interesting game. Um, Atletico Madrid versus Manchester United. That could be a sticky one for United. And I didn't read the article, but I saw a statement from Roddy Collins and Colin Ragnick, and the inter-Manchester United manager, Bluffer. Um, so there was a few funny comments about that, but... Um, We'll see by then what state Manchester United be in. But um yeah, you'd other games you'd fancy Man City, Bayern, um progress as well. But be interesting to see and it'd be something to really look forward to come February anyway. Um and have the soccer midweek and the GA league action uh, at the weekend, so it'd be all going to be good then. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know, definitely. Uh, we move on anyway, Robbie, to the World Sports <laughs> Roundup, and I'll let you take the lead. Uh, yeah, so we basically, uh, Steph Curry, uh, he plays for the Golden State Warriors. Um, he, over, I think it was a few days ago, he, he became the player who had scored the most three-point shots in NBA history, um, which is obviously a fabulous achievement, but he did it in... 550 odd games uh, less than the guy who did before him uh, and he has a few few years still left to play I suppose um, he's 33, 34 or something like that you know and um, he's a small man by NBA standards he's 6 foot 3 uh, which is uh, you're almost a midget in NBA if you're that high um, but uh, yeah he's just such a fabulous player and he just um, I suppose what you know, in the commentary, listen to me about it. He just makes um, scoring, you know, three three pointers such a effortless thing. And you know, before you know, someone scoring ten three pointers in a night would be 
you know, once in a career sort of a game, but he, he seems to do it like uh, every few games and he just has such a great percentage and he's even taking shots from, you know, back near the halfway line and stuff like that and he's still making them and stuff. So he's just all, all around a fabulous player. Uh, and then from the, the great to the downright awful, we've got uh, Urban Meyer, who's the, he was the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now they were having a bit of a tough season, um, only winning two games, but that was uh, 100% more games than they won last year. Um, so he had some bit of off the field uh, sort of discretions where he was um, one where the team flew home back to Jacksonville. Jacksonville. And he stayed and he ended up kind of drinking with some college girls and he was kind of, you know, in very, uh, you know, precarious positions with them, I suppose. Um, and then there was another point where he was calling out all his staff and he was kind of uh, abusing them in front of the media and stuff like that. And, and then probably, I suppose, the straw that broke the camel's back was that he ended up kicking one of the players. He kicked the kicker um, <laughs> in the practice or whatever and he gave him some verbal abuse. So... Since then, they've kind of let him go. Um, so, yeah, so he's a, very much a character. Um, and he's probably better off out of the NFL if that's the way he's carrying on. So it's kind of the new news on the NFL front. And I suppose with the NFL, it's kind of heating up in terms of uh, people, you know, getting ready to get in towards playoff time. And I suppose it's a crunch time for a lot of teams. Um and if you look at the the AFC, which is one of the conferences in the NFL, it's very tight in terms of the wild card uh, going for playoff positions. You got a lot of teams who have very similar records, so the next few weeks are going to be massive for them. And uh, hopefully, the Cowboys can tie up their playoff uh, position with the win this weekend. And if they if Washington lose, then the Cowboys are in the playoffs, so that'd be good news for me. Um, yeah. So and. Just lastly, for me on the sports round, or actually two more things actually, is um, I don't know if we're talking about this as a separate topic, but the F1 with Verstappen winning. And then just a big uh, congratulations to Katie Taylor, who defended her, her title at the weekend. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, I was going to mention Katie Taylor in the world sports. I, yeah, no, Katie Taylor's an exceptional talent. Um, yeah, she was a bit off off form last Friday or last Saturday night but still she just has the talent to just move on through and it's setting up um, a really mouth water and tussle next year and I can't name the opponent to save my life at the moment Serrano uh, yeah Serrano and that's going to be a real and that's meant to be in um, oh, the big boxing arena of oh, what the hell I'm going to bring no in New York. Um, Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden, sorry. And Katie Taylor would have fighting there early in her professional career as well. So I think that's it for around April next year. Um, now, I heard commentator that interviewed Katie Taylor after the fight last Saturday saying it'd be around Patrick's Day, but that's set for April next year, and that'd be the real one. Um if Katie Taylor wins that, um, there's not really much more she can do on it. You, you can't see her return or anything, but she's just going to her. What would you say? Her stature is secured with her professional record, but that'd be the real icing on the cake because of the, 
the verbals that are becoming, especially from uh, the opposition camp. Um, I also mentioned the World Darts Championships on um, Gerwin Price, the defending championship, um, got his first win last night. It wasn't all plain sailing against that house, but... Um, yeah, he, you'd still have to fancy him. He had a few hiccups along the way throughout the year. Uh, the big game, on, actually good news today for Irish players. All three Irish players uh, secured their way through. Uh, Carlos, uh, Steve Lennon, um, progress through 3-1. Um, and uh, Daryl Gurney at Northern Ireland secured um, passage through over... Uh, Evans 3-1 as well and Willie O'Connor early tonight against Lobby of America it went down to um, a, a final game a final set decider but Willie O'Connor emerged victorious of course Willie O'Connor and Steve Lennon got to the world championship final um, sorry the world's international uh, final a few year ago as well so uh, watering game on at the moment between former champions Adrian Lewis and uh, Gary Anderson as well. So it's going to be hot and heavy until the early rounds. Of course, Fallon Sherrock, who created um, history and also a shock um, being the first female player to ever win at World Star Championships playing Steve Beaton uh, as well. I think that game's taking place on Sunday, but it'd be one to look forward to. And Leisha Ashton, the other female player who's the defending and multiple uh, female champion, um, uh, was unlucky tonight as well. So that's the World Starts Championship. Uh, just before I finish the roundup on, for my part, Robbie, I give a shout out to Dubliner Ellen Welch. Uh, who became the first Irish woman to win a medal at the World Swimming Championships in 20 years. Uh, that took place today. She won silver in Abu Dhabi and the last uh, female swimmer from Ireland to win a medal was Michelle Smith de Bruin. And that, talk, that was around 2000 that uh, Michelle Smith de Bruin. So congratulations, Helen Welch there it's great to see irish swimming coming back up again um so we move on anyway robbie we mentioned formula one but we go a bit more into it did you watch the deciding the first stop in controversy over uh williams on sunday uh i kind of watched a bit of it but i'm not really sure exactly what happened to the answer chip. <laughs> yeah i won't lie to you i didn't I used to be a huge fan of Formula One when I was younger, and then I just drifted away from it. I think it was because they used to have it on Network Two, and then they stopped it. And um, I when they stopped doing the coverage, being back when I was younger, you wouldn't really have Sky or that. It's only later years, say when I got into my late teens or that, that we got Sky in and all of that. Um, so I think that's the reason why what I think happened was there was a crash and William slowed down uh, because the safety car was on the track. But I stand corrected on this for stopping, I think, was in the pits and he overtook Williams. And that's how now I could be incorrect about for stopping being in the pits, but I think that's what happened. Now, the driver that crashed actually apologized. Um, now, 
Mercedes appealed it and all of that. Now, they were going to do a further appeal, but I heard, was it today or yesterday, that they withdrew that. But um, it really setting it up for mouthwater in Formula 1 next season because Williams will want to come back, but for Sappen, they'd want to prove it wasn't a, a once-off either. So maybe I will tune in next year to it now again. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, and you've got the Netflix uh, documentary to go with it as well, so I'm, I'm sure that's uh, that's ramping up a bit of intrigue about it as well. Yeah, oh no, definitely. I mean, the time when I would have been watching it, it would have been Schumacher, Damon Hill and Eddie Jordan would have been heavily involved uh, at the time as well. So it, it used to be on... Um, uh, every Sunday on Network 2 uh, RTE 2 and you just used to watch it I love motorsport I won't lie to you but it just drifted away but it'd be definitely uh, worth checking it out next year I was chatting to a friend during the weekend they were saying that there's a real change going on with the cars um, for next year there's huge investments so it'd be interesting to see um, how that takes off uh, we move on. We mentioned Seth Curry and Urban Mayer. Uh, Elon Musk named Times Person of the Year. Um, I won't lie to you. I wouldn't have known much about Elon Musk until this year when I started listening to um, kind of business shows, the nerd I am with the area I'm working in. But um, I think it's a strange person to name person of the year. Am I wrong or right on that, Robbie? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I suppose like he's the richest man in the world, and I suppose he is. He is kind of pushing the boundaries, maybe to a certain degree, with uh, with um, I suppose like markets and money, and also with. Um, SpaceX, like space um, travel and stuff like that, and robots and AI. So <clears throat> I suppose like he 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 has always kind of been in the media throughout the year. Um, and yeah, like I'm not sure like who else would you pick? I suppose would be my my question. I suppose. Um, but yeah, I think like like overall. I think he probably maybe deserves to get in there. Um, like he's probably even doing stuff I don't even know about to be honest with you. But um, <clears throat> yeah, he seems like an, an interesting character. Um, I know he got he got into a bit of a Twitter spat with um, a representative in America who was giving out about him paying tax, and he um, <clears throat> he ended up kind of uh, tweeting back at her saying that he pays the most tax out of anybody and. He was like, "Don't spend it all at the one time," and then he was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot you. You you did, um, yeah." So like, I don't know. He seems like a, a fairly intriguing character. Um, you know, there has been people who've won it who haven't done a whole lot, and then other people who have turned out to be quite bad, I suppose as well. So um, yeah, I suppose it's an interesting one. I'm really uh, not a fan of his current haircut, though. I think he needs for a, a multi-billionaire, he needs to get his hair sorted. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a, a valid point you mentioned there. Who else? I suppose he did, um, he did, did develop the SpaceX, um, I think as well. And, um, I don't know there, I think might sound strange, but if you look at, say, the people developed vaccines or something, I mean, in record time, you could say, well, 
do they deserve a shout or something like that but um yeah listening say to financial shows like i was saying the nerd i am they are kind of um uh questions about how his company expects uh uh telsa uh yeah tesla are so valuable when they're only making a such a small number of cars um that there's kind of a question how their share price could be so high so i suppose he is a really shrewd operator and yeah i suppose he does deserve the credit but um like i was saying i think to be more people maybe deserving of it but off the top of my head i can't name anyone other say than the people develop vaccines or that so um i i gratefully accept being wrong on that um but uh weren't he talked that donald trump could have been that a few year ago as well uh, i think he was in 2016 no yeah no sorry yeah he was 2016 so it just shows how interesting that can be being honest yeah. but um <laughs> Maybe it's actually funny because we used to have the top trumps on the podcast. I was thinking during the week we might introduce the Boris spot or something. Um, because... Yeah, Boris is a good, a good a laugh as well, isn't he? Yeah. Well, maybe not if you're British. He's the life and soul of the party anyway. So uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe, maybe we might introduce something next couple of weeks because I think this isn't going to disappear anyway. Uh, we move on anyway, Robbie, to the high ball. Uh, oh, the high ball. The high ball. I won't lie to you. I'm, I was thinking hard about this because I'm usually useless at thinking up high balls and I completely forgot about it till now. Um, <laughs> so Way to sell it. Yeah, I know. It's, it's actually, I'm really lazy uh, today on it. But I suppose it's that time of year we're chatting earlier on about having to get Christmas presents and all of that. Did you ever get a really, really, really shitty present, but yet had to just kind of be gracious for getting it? In other words, a present that was really just really bad, but just you couldn't make your feelings known on it yeah i suppose i have um you know like i think as well like like the person i got it to off was wasn't going through the best financial time at the at that point in their life as well so yeah i think i think that kind of um (laughs) it's probably not really fair to say it was a crappy present because it was probably the best they could have done in that situation but yeah it was a pretty crappy present (laughs) but um yeah it was like because and i think after this we decided to do in my family we decided to do chris kringle where you get one person a decent present and instead of ever getting everyone like you know a half-ass or a present or whatever so i think my sister who got me the present she was um she was kind of struggling at the time to get everyone something half decent or whatever so she got me uh, a picture frame with a, a quote uh, that she had put into it. Like it was a kind of a motivational type or some sort of feel good sort of quote. I forget what it was now. Obviously it wasn't that good because I don't remember. But um, yeah, I just remember kind of thinking like, you know, 
thanks for nothing sort of thing. <laughs> but yeah. I, I suppose, like, looking back, maybe it is a bit unfair because I don't know if she had much money at the time or whatever. But, um, yeah, like, it was pretty crappy. And, you know, I don't even know where it is now. So it's kind of probably saying a lot, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... it's I I was going to ask a question, but I suppose, yeah, I got a Madeira cake for Christmas one time. I <laughs> Madeira cake? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I won't mention who it was from, but um, I like the Madeira cake. Yeah, but yeah, I <laughs> um, I know the person that got it for me. I feel really bad um because they just didn't know what to get me. It's as simple as that, and they were told I used to like it, and um, yeah, come Christmas, it was a Madeira cake. Now, in all fairness, the the person thought it was a brilliant one but yeah it was just uh it, it, it like i i be really awkward that way because i don't like getting presents uh mm-hmm. i always it's like if someone buys me a drink in a pub or something i have to buy back more than one back if that makes sense um i just i i don't know what it is but it it make you think if someone say bought you a really really shitty present say for something like an event like a wedding or something like that or say a one-off thing like a birthday do you think it'd be something that you returned a compliment or would you try and be the bigger person and not do the same to them yeah i think i'd just try and you know be the bigger person I suppose I think I try and do that with a lot of things hopefully <laughs> um yeah I think you're always better off to take the high road and not be too too like you know trying to get someone back or you know trying to be you know mean or whatever so you know I think you know people do the best they can in certain circumstances and you just got to learn to accept that sometimes and just be like right you know I'm just going to do the best I can and sure that's all I can do really yeah, I know definitely on that note, Robbie, I don't think I could better what you said there. So, yeah, I know, fair play. That's as a comedian from Northern Ireland used to say, I can't think of his name now. That was a cracker. So, uh, cracker. <laughs> uh, for this week, anyway, Robbie, we leave it at that. It was brilliant uh, having your company again, and we will try and fit in a podcast next week as well. Uh, which yeah, be episode 48 especially in the build up to Christmas um, if circumstances were different we'd be hopefully able to do something special maybe do a live one where we're linking up together but we build for that for next year anyway so if you want to contact us on the podcast you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and Robbie's doing terrific work on Instagram fair play Robbie and you can also check out our website uh, twohandsunderhurlpod.wixsite.com forward slash podcast and we'd love to hear from you across the board on that until next week Robbie uh, be good and don't do too much Christmas shopping and we chat next week sometime oh, I'll try thanks to good chat as always, man. good chatting bud take care good luck All right, good luck good luck, bye, good bye, luck. Bye.